following podcast contains explicit content and is not suitable for all listeners. From 1980 to 2008, nearly one out of five murder victims were killed by an intimate partner. In fact, available research shows that women are more likely to be killed by an intimate partner, as in a husband, boyfriend, same-sex partner, or ex, than by anyone else. On December 3rd, 1998, A 40-year-old mother of two was found dead in her Wisconsin home. Her death was originally believed to be a suicide until a letter appeared and her husband of 14 years was arrested for her murder. This is the story of Julie Jensen. This case is one that is so unbelievable. You would think it's the plot of a made-for-TV movie, but sadly... This story is very real and very tragic. Julie Carol Griffin was born on February 26, 1958 in Kenosha County in Wisconsin in the United States to parents Raymond and June Griffin. She was the only girl in the family and had five brothers. Julie was a good student, having straight A's all throughout her years and she graduated high school in 1976. She was musically inclined and spent her younger years playing the accordion, violin, and singing in the choir. She was also a devoted Catholic, attending church regularly with her family and attending Sunday school. She remained active in her church throughout her adult years as well. She was described as having, quote, a gentle, carefree, easygoing nature, end quote and that she was, quote, somewhat quiet, although she enjoyed being with people. Her personality was warm, caring, and sincere, end quote. Kenosha County is located on the southeast corner of Wisconsin State, on the border of Illinois. The state of Wisconsin is bordered by Minnesota to the west, Iowa to the southwest, Illinois to the south, and Michigan to the northeast. It's also bordered by Lake Michigan to the northeast and Lake Superior to the north. Warm summers make Kenosha a popular destination, but the winters are known to be very cold and snowy. Being on the border of Illinois, Kenosha is said to attract those in the Chicago suburbs. In fact, Julie worked part-time for the Port Authority in Chicago, and the commute is roughly one, one and a half hours, depending. During her marriage, Julie and her family lived in Pleasant Prairie, which is considered a village in Kenosha County, and has a population of 21,250 as of 2020. Kenosha County itself has a population of 169,151 as of 2020, and is the 8th most populated county in Wisconsin. By all accounts, she was a devoted mother as well of her two boys, David and Douglas, who were eight and three at the time of her death. They were her pride and joy, and she was a very involved parent, even volunteering at her older son's school. 
Julie met Mark Jensen in high school, and the two quickly fell in love. They remained high school sweethearts and throughout college. Mark was smart and driven. He became a stockbroker and provided stability to Julie, which she wanted. She had gone to college for nursing, but dropped out with one semester remaining. Her brother stated that she was too sensitive for a career in nursing and that she became too close to the patients, and so she ultimately decided to drop out. Julie and Mark married on April 14, 1984, and their first son was born in 1991, and their second in 1995. Outwardly, they appear to be the perfect couple, but things are not always what they seem. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to my podcast. The concept behind femicide is very close to my heart, and I hope through these stories we can shed a light on the abuse, violence, and sexual assault that women face daily. This podcast is 100% a woman-run operation. I write, record, and edit every single episode myself, and as I mentioned, I recently brought on someone to help with research on some upcoming episodes to help me out and to help continue to share these important stories. So to help me and my efforts, I have started a Patreon account. And if you aren't familiar with Patreon, it is a membership-based platform designed to allow fans to support and connect with their favorite creators. Sign up today online at patreon.com or via the Patreon app, and I will leave a link in the show notes of this episode. As always, I will be donating 10% of all gifts received and memberships each month to various charities that help support women. The charity I will be donating to for the month of May 2022 is the Canadian Women's Foundation. Quote, the Canadian Women's Foundation is a national leader in the movement for gender equality in Canada. Through funding, research, advocacy, and knowledge sharing, we work to achieve systemic change. End quote. Gifts, while deeply appreciated, are not the only way you can show support. It would mean a lot if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review, as it really helps to bring awareness to these stories. And please don't forget to share with your friends and families, because word of mouth is the best review of all. Shortly after the birth of her first son, David, Julie confessed to Mark that she had had an affair with some guy that she worked with. Her brother said it was either one time or one weekend, but that he couldn't remember what she had said. This revelation devastated Mark, and according to Julie, he never fully recovered and held it against her for the rest of their marriage. She initially filed for divorce, but the couple went to counseling and decided to try and work it out. They had their second son in 1995, but by then, their marriage was strained and on the rocks. Julie had an ongoing battle with depression, something her mother also dealt with. These episodes caused more challenges in the marriage, as Mark didn't know how to handle the ups and downs. In the fall of 1998, Mark expressed some concerns to his parents and some friends about Julie's depression, stating it had gotten worse and that she was in a deep state. Eventually, she sought the help of a doctor and was prescribed antidepressants just two days before her death. 
Her depression had gotten worse, and Julie was convinced that Mark was out to get her. Telling her neighbors and her son's third grade teacher that she thought her husband was going to kill her. Both the neighbors and the teacher tried to convince her to leave Mark or to go to a domestic violence shelter, but Julie refused, saying if she left him that he would make her look crazy and take the kids away from her, which she couldn't bear the thought of. Her neighbor Tim recalls Mark acting differently too at that same time, becoming more critical of Julie and saying things like she was a bad mother. As it turns out, Julie wasn't the only one to have an affair during their marriage. In August of 1998, Mark changed jobs, and this is when he met a woman named Kelly Labonte. The two became close quickly and began emailing each other constantly. The affair progressed, and Mark and Kelly began making plans to be together. It's unclear if Julie had any knowledge of the affair, but she was finding other unsettling discoveries. She found a list of items in Mark's work diary that while weren't explicitly listed as items to murder someone, they were concerning. These items included syringe, aspirin, razor blades, patches, shells, and bottled dash booze, among others. She also found searches for types of poisons and such in their web history, which is when she began telling people about her fears about her husband trying to kill her. On December 2nd, 1998, Julie's neighbor spoke to her on the phone. She says that Julie hadn't been feeling well, but insisted that Mark was taking care of her. But she was also obviously drunk, and it concerned her neighbor who offered to help in some way. She declined, and that was the last time the two would ever speak. Just over a day later, on December 3, 1998, Julie Jensen was found dead in her bed by her husband, Mark. Initially, police theorized that Julie had committed suicide, given the antidepressants and history of depression that she had suffered with. There was no obvious signs of trauma, and her autopsy came back as inconclusive. Her family and friends were shocked. How could a healthy 40-year-old woman just drop dead? Was suicide to blame? Her brothers say they never believed that scenario. They knew something felt off, and the police agreed. The scene of the crime felt off, like something wasn't right but they couldn't put their finger on it. That's when things took a very surprising turn. Julie's neighbors brought a letter to the detectives on Julie's case, a letter written by Julie herself that she gave them on November 21st, 1998, just over a week before her death. In the letter, she explicitly names Mark as a suspect stating her findings, and even enclosing a picture of the list she found in his diary. She stated that if she died, to look at Mark. This letter reinforced what police had begun to suspect, that Julie didn't commit suicide. She was murdered. When the detectives attempted to look at the Jensen's home computer the night of her murder, they found that someone had tried to delete the browser history, 
This had given them early suspicions that now piqued their interest due to the letter. Upon looking at the remaining history, they found the emails between Mark and Kelly, giving Mark motive to want his wife out of the picture. The history also showed the searches for poisons that Julie had mentioned previously. One of the poisons was ethylene glycol, which is the main ingredient in antifreeze. Due to her neighbor's description of her being drunk, they believed that she had actually been poisoned, as that was the same symptom for antifreeze poisoning. The medical examiner on Julie's case stated just 50 milliliters would have killed her and could have easily been put into a can of soda, as it has a sweet taste and is easily hidden. Just a side note, I know people can drink while on antidepressants, obviously, and a severely depressed state could lead to suicide. And some antidepressants also cause more harm and suicidal thoughts in people. I just think that she didn't exhibit suicidal behavior. She was seeking help and was fearful of becoming like her mother, who was an alcoholic also. So to be drunk the night after she started the antidepressants is out of character. And to initially jump to that conclusion is a bit of a cop-out, and I'm glad that they didn't just settle for that and looked further into it. Even on the night it happened, they took the time to still look at the computer and other things. Where in some cases, you hear of police saying, oh, it's just a suicide and that's it, even when conflicting evidence is presented, or it is impossible for them to have done it but the police stand by that theory for whatever reason. Police began to look into Mark more closely and started developing their case against him. But initially, Julie's autopsy didn't show ethylene glycol in her system, and because they couldn't prove it, they couldn't arrest him for murder. After two years and three different labs, they finally found a small trace of the suspected ethylene glycol in her stomach and they finally arrested Mark in March of 2002. Mark was out on bail during this time, and the main debate and the reason for the trial's delay was the letter Julie wrote. Legally, Mark had a right to confront and counter-examine his accuser at trial, but because she was deceased, the judge dismissed the letter as evidence at trial. The prosecution argued that he murdered her, and therefore it was because of him she couldn't be cross-examined. The appeals went all the way to the Supreme Court, where the letter was finally allowed into trial, but only if enough other evidence was present that pointed to Mark. The preliminary trial started in July of 2007, and it was at this trial that a co-worker of Mark named Ed Kluke, testified that Mark actually told him that he was planning on killing his wife with poison while on a work trip to St. Louis. The two were out drinking, and he began to share the details of his intentions. Ed apparently never came forward because he didn't want to get involved, but had mentioned it to another co-worker who then told police, and he was forced to testify. This testimony caused the judge to increase the bail amount 
forcing Mark to be put into prison to await his actual trial. It would be January 7th, 2008 before that trial took place. And now another man named Aaron Dillard, a jailhouse snitch, came forward in exchange for his release from prison. He stated while in prison, Mark told him that he tried to poison Julie, but that she started to improve and he worried she would recover and not die. And so he sat on her back and neck and suffocated her into the bed pillows. The medical examiner changed her official cause of death to include ethylene glycol poisoning and suffocation. The investigators that arrived on scene stated that this revelation made her positioning finally make sense as she appeared unnatural and squished in her face upon their observation. Now, I'm not sure if evidence of suffocation was actually present. I'm sure some would need to be present to officially change a cause of death, but it is unclear based on my research. As always, if I miss some important information, feel free to share it on my Instagram page at femicide underscore podcast. For their part, Mark's defense team argued that Julie set Mark up, either to commit suicide or to frame him for attempted murder. They theorized that Julie was distraught over Mark's affair and wanted to punish him, maybe take the house and the children and have him rot in prison. Now, those closest to her argue that she never would have killed herself and left her children to be raised by Mark. Even if she hoped he would be charged with her murder, she couldn't be assured that would for sure happen, and so she never would have taken the chance. But Mark and his parents argue that she didn't intend to kill herself, but was anorexic and misjudged the amount of ethylene glycol she took, causing her to die accidentally but that she had every intention of framing Mark for attempted murder. Honestly, it's a bit of a hard case to confirm. If there is proof on her body that suffocation took place, then it would be clear to me that he murdered her. But as it wasn't immediately found during the autopsy, and I can't confirm evidence was indeed found, it makes me question it. Stress also makes someone lose weight though. Maybe Julie was under intense stress from her unhappy marriage. Maybe she really did just want to leave but felt she couldn't. And maybe he did kill her to be with his lover. Maybe she also orchestrated a plan to ensure he couldn't make her look crazy and take her children. Regardless, I think this was a lot more than just her being jealous or heartbroken over his affair. She seemed to be at her end and likely didn't care that much at all if she did know about the affair. She was probably relieved that he did it too and now it wasn't about her being the bad guy anymore for her previous affair. I think if she did try to frame him, It was from desperation about potentially losing her children to a vindictive and verbally abusive man. Because the evidence of his critical and mean words to Julie were not fabricated in the letter. They were spoken brazenly in front of witnesses, which means he likely said far worse to her in person. 
Maybe he did just want her out of his life to be rid of her and have custody of his sons. But again, I'm not sure if he murdered her. Of course, I only know what I research and far more evidence is presented at trial. The jury, however, did find Mark Jensen guilty of murdering Julie and he was sentenced to life without parole on February 27th, 2008. Some other things about Mark following Julie's death. Firstly, he was reluctant to take her to the hospital, telling his children that if she didn't improve, he would take her the next morning, on the evening she died. This is suspicious because, again, she was acting visibly drunk, which would be odd behavior and cause for concern if she wasn't drinking alcohol. He also didn't show any signs of grieving at her funeral. Again, he could have just been not that sad that she passed away. But even just for his boys, some grief that they lost their mother would be normal behavior. Neighbors stated, quote, Mark was standing five feet from her casket, laughing and joking and acting like someone at a cocktail party. I would probably mourn a stranger more than he mourned Julie, end quote. And finally, the fact that his mistress, Kelly, moved in very shortly following Julie's death and the two married in 2002. She is actually now the one raising the two boys following Mark's sentencing, which I find odd too. You'd think a family member would take them, but maybe they don't oppose to her being their guardian, as she didn't have anything to do with the crime itself. Again, I'm not sure, but that part I find interesting. Of course, the boys are now 32 and 27 and fully grown adults. Most recently, in August of 2021, Mark Jensen was granted a retrial and the infamous letter will not be allowed into evidence. It's set for January 9th, 2023, and I'll be looking for updates. I will likely do a follow-up episode at some point as well. If Julie Jensen did commit suicide, she felt like there was no other way out of her sadness, and that itself is tragic. If she had planned to frame a man that instilled a fear in her of losing her children, then again, that's the sign of a desperate woman, and it is heartbreaking, and her death preventable. And if Mark Jensen did in fact kill Julie Jensen, then I'm glad he spent the last 21 years in prison. But if he didn't, I do feel for him and his family. However, he is by no means innocent. If he didn't intend to kill her, his actions resulted in her death. Perhaps they were a toxic match that simply needed to be done. But he wasn't without fault. No, I'm not saying he deserved 20 years if he didn't kill her, obviously. But he was a part of what happened in one way or another. Regardless of why or how, in the end, two boys lost their mother. And a smart, caring, and wonderful woman lost her life much too soon. Thank you for listening to the story of Julie Jensen. I'm your host, Sean Marie. Join me next time for another story.